Got questions? The Bible has answers. We'll help you find them. Welcome to the God Questions Podcast with Shay Hoodman, President of God Questions Ministries. Welcome to the God Questions Podcast. On today's episode, joining me is Jeff Allen. He's a Christian comedian and author of the upcoming book, Are We There Yet? It's an excellent book. I would highly encourage you to read it. At the uh, end of the episode, we'll have some links where you can purchase the book. It'll also be in the show notes and also when this video goes live on YouTube. So, Jeff, um, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I can't. Uh, we can't do it without you guys, so I appreciate the opportunity. So, Jeff, before we dive into the book, I wanted to ask you some questions about humor in general, but we're a ministry that answers people's questions. Um, occasionally, we'll receive a question like, sort of along the lines of, is it okay to laugh? Or what role should humor play in the Christian life? In your experience as a Christian comedian, does God have a sense of humor? Does God want us to laugh? Why did God... Why did God give us the ability to laugh as part of our design? Well, you can certainly go to uh, science on that one. Uh, for gosh sakes, the, the healing benefits of laughter have been well documented. I mean, uh, it releases endorphins, which is the body's natural morphine. So laughter is a painkiller. You know, um, if God designed us, he put us in, he put that in us for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I used to think about when I first became a believer, I used to imagine the blessing and the curse it would be to be able to see the true nature of a person's heart. And you got to think at some point, you know, when these disciples said to Jesus, oh, oh, I'm with you, Lord, I'm there. And he would just go, yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, yeah, okay. You know, so I, I, I hope he has, I, I'm sure he has a sense, I hope he has a sense of humor. He has to, I mean, for gosh sakes. uh, I mean, look at us, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and um our promises and our yeah i i don't know what i would do without the ability to laugh i i really don't i mean through all of our hard times you talk to anybody i mean i mean i've been in recovery for 35 years you talk to some of these horrific childhoods that these people's had the ones that make it out of it are the ones that can look back and laugh you know as a family you sit as a family we were sitting at my mother's hospice uh she was probably less than 12 hours from going to heaven. And uh, we're out there telling mom stories and just laughing hysterically as a family. And the nurse came out and said, uh, you know, not everybody's enjoying this. You know, you need to keep it down. But we knew our mom and we knew where she was going. We were secure in that. And uh, she had told us uh, her you know, goodbye, you know. And um, so just relaying uh, and sitting and talking about her life and laughing at some of the things that were just wonderful helped us to deal with that moment in our life. I'll give you a quick story. I was at my nephew's wedding probably three years after my mother passed. Um, and my sisters, they really lost their best friend when my mom passed. We, we, she was kind of the we we would I'd call my mother twice two or three times a week just to see how everybody else in the family was doing. I mean I didn't have to call my siblings. I would just call mom because everybody kept in touch with her. So anyway, uh, my sisters were just extremely devastated at the loss of my mother. And uh, I was at my nephew's wedding. I had my arm around my sister, and I'm taking a picture with her. And right before the camera, uh, the, the the photographer's ready to take the picture. I leaned over and I said to Vicky, I said, uh, "You remember when mom was in hospice and she was slipping into a coma?" 
And Vicky says, I remember that. And I said, uh, we all went in to say our goodbyes. And she says, I remember that. And I said, mom told me I was her favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and my sister, that cameraman got the, the picture of her just laughing. And yeah. uh, she said, well, she told me that too. I go, well, she lied to you. <laughs> she <laughs> nice. just didn't want you to get hurt. Yeah. But that, that's a, that's a, a blessing. I mean, to be able to, you know, three years later, it, w- it wouldn't have been a joke I made the day after my mother passed away. But uh, that's the, to me, the out the other end part and mm-hmm. to laugh at my foibles uh, in recovery rooms uh, when I got into recovery, uh, you know, I was obviously you're beat up, you're broken, you're just destroyed. And to listen to the laughter in those rooms at people talking about what they were like 10 years earlier, five years earlier, and the stupid, you know, there was a guy that told a story, I'll never forget this, that his wife would chain him, handcuff him to a radiator on Friday night so he wouldn't drink and drive. So he'd sit in his chair, handcuffed to a radiator, forced to stay in his chair, had a little bucket that he went to the bathroom in, and he would drink a fifth of vodka. And he said, I did that for eight months as if it was normal. (laughs) (laughs) Not once did he think that was abnormal, you know. And again, you get out the other end, and you look back at it, and you go, holy cow, that's insane. That's absolutely nuts. Mm -hmm. But at the time you're in it, it makes perfect sense. So if you can't laugh at that, you're, you're going to be crushed yeah. by your own stupidity, you know? So anyway, that's, uh, I hope yeah. that answered the question. Yeah, I agree 100%. Sometimes you have to laugh just so you don't cry at some of the things yeah. you've experienced. And God definitely designed us in his image. So laughter yeah. is, like I said, it's healing. It's cathartic. It's can help us to get over things, not in like a dismissive, oh, just, just forget about it, but like really put it in, perspective. And that's, I I love that about humor. Something you mentioned earlier, it's it's a question that I've actually had recently as a, as a Christian comedian, how do you know where to like draw the lines in your humor? Not necessarily just in clean versus unclean humor, but some situations are not the appropriate times to make a joke. And we all know people who will tend to try to make a joke out of something that's really poorly timed. Um, as a Christian comedian, as an expert on humor, how do we know when when is the appropriate time for humor and even how do we draw the lines appropriately? Well, I'm not an expert on knowing where to draw the line. I've, yeah. I've crossed the line a couple of yeah. times. As we all have. Yeah. And uh, somebody told me when I, I uh, Mark Lowry, a pretty well-known comedian with, the, with Gaithers, the Gaithers, when I started touring with the Gaithers, Mark said something pretty profound. He said, the key is to find the line and then kick it. And sometimes you'll miss the line and step over it. Now, he had Bill to pull him back mm-hmm. um, to make light of the fact that, you know, but you acknowledge it if you cross the line. The audience will let you know when you cross the line. You know, Bill Cosby said something pretty profound. I can't tell you how to succeed, but I can tell you how to fail, and it's try to please everybody. Um, mm-hmm. I have a three rule. If I get three or four emails on a, on a joke that from the same audience, I'll look at it and go, well, maybe that was. Uh, I remember I was at Estes Park years ago. I was a you know, brand new believer, and uh, I got booked at this Christian music thing, and they wanted some comedy to lighten things up. So anyway, there was a video on leprosy uh, ministry, and it was just this heart gut-wrenching video on leprosy. I mean, it was like people were you know crying. And at one point, the, the, the 
producer of the event leans over to me and he goes, you got to go up next. We need to lighten up. And I go, I'm not following leprosy. <laughs> so anyway, I went up on stage and it was one of those times where you just say to yourself, well, I'll deliver a line. And if it, if it hits, we're home. We'll keep going. And if it doesn't, I'm going to have to leave. But I said, you know, we were in Colorado and it was dry and whatever. And I said, uh, well, my chapped lips just don't seem so bad right now. And, uh, you know, there was this pause and then everybody busted up laughing and it was, you needed to break the tension. I mean, yeah. there, it was kind of an unsaid thing that we need, we need to get past this. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, again, I, I thought at the time it probably crossed the line, but I'll let the audience make that decision and, mm -hmm. um, I'll just say it. And, uh, again, I, 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 I make the distinction in today's culture because it seems to me there's this knee jerk to not only tell somebody they crossed the line, but to destroy their life for it. Yeah. And my question is always to somebody, is there malice behind the joke? And if, if the intent is to malign and to cut somebody, then to me, that's inappropriate. But if it's pointing out an absurdity and you just happen to be part of the absurdity, um, uh, again, there's no malice. You know, when I started in comedy in 1978 in Chicago, we picked on every group there was, you know. But again, there was no malice. The audience determined that. You know, they knew if you were being malicious. And, and you know, blacks talked about whites. Whites talked about we grew up together, you know. Um, and we were in those neighborhoods together. And the cultural differences were obvious, so you just pointed them out. I mean, again, nothing malicious about it. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was just part of everyday humor. It's what we talked about on the corners, and we talked about in high school, and we talked about wherever we ate. You know, and then all of a sudden, it just got. It was almost like they were putting a kink into the hose of of humor. Mm -hmm. So we're yeah, that's off topic. That's off. You can't talk about that. You can't. You know, and. Um, I sensed it with the drunk driving. I got sober and I was talking about drunk driving. I mean, I used to drive drunk, you know, and uh, I'm not proud of that. But again, healing is being able to look back at the folly of your life. And um, it was killing, just killing. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. Mm -hmm. The culture decided that it wasn't good to make light of that. Yeah. You know? And, um, so anyway, I, I go with the I go with the audience. I mean, I'm not there to bludgeon them over the head with stuff they don't want to hear. But it was disappointing for me as a comic because it was a really good, strong routine, and there wasn't anything in there outside of pointing out my ignorance and my yeah. stupidity. And um, so, so you, yeah, they uh, there are lines and there are people that cross them. But again, I just look at malice. I look at the intent. If I can sense again, I to me I, anything goes. As with anything, it's a, it's a learning process and yes. adapting both to your audience, to the culture. And you, you've learned that just as we've learned that um, in various aspects of our ministry, how even how we answer people's questions has had to adjust and adapt over the years. But so let, let's talk about, are we there yet? So what led you to write this book and specifically um, why that title? Why are we there yet? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, I'm not a writer. My wife and I, She's been pushing me for 10 years uh, to write it because after speaking at churches, people would come over and say, have you written that down? Mm -hmm. 
for years. You know, have you written it? No, I haven't. I'm not a writer. I'm not a writer. I don't write. And um, Tammy, my wife, you know, if she wanted to start an argument in our home, all she had to do was say, what'd you write on your book today? Nothing. Not a word, baby. You know, and then we would argue. Uh, and I said, I said, as cliche as it sounds within the Christian circles, I told her, in God's time, this book will be written. If it's meant to be written, it'll be written. And about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I was um, doing something at NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters. I was uh, just performing, doing a 10-minute comedy set to break up the, the evening. And somebody from Salem Media was backstage. And oddly, they had never heard of me. I, I mean, I've been doing comedy since 1978, and I've been in the Christian world for 20-plus years. And um, anyway, they did a little research on me, and on, the U on YouTube, there was my testimony. So somebody from Salem Media reached out to my management and said, has he got that written down? <laughs> you know, we, we'd be interested in doing a book. So I send him some of my writings, and this was great. In my house, this was, this was great. I sent them a couple chapters that I had written, and they said, you're obviously going to need some help. And I said, could you call my wife and tell her that I'm not a, I'm not a writer? <laughs> so what we did was we hired a guy. I hired a guy to help me edit the stories. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it would have been a 400-page tomb of, of all this minutia that nobody's really interested. I said, if you could just go through my audio, uh, the, my talks and all this stuff and pick out stuff that you think is relevant to this story. I would love to put it down and um, on paper. Um, I think it's written from a 35-year perch. I'm 35 years past this. I wanted to write something for my children and grandchildren to let them know what their parents and grandparents went through so that in their life, if they hit hard times, this could be a, a reference to go, well, Mimi and Papa got through this. We can get through this as a couple. Mm -hmm. Are We There Yet came from um, a friend of mine brought that up. He said he took a trip with his kids. Uh, he was He's in his late 30s. And he said, I just get tired of hearing that. Are we there yet? And we all know that when you have kids. Mm -hmm. And it just really hit me. I think it's a God thing. It just hit me that that's what my journey in recovery was like. As a child, you get in the backseat of your parents' car and they go on a trip. You have no idea where you're going. You really don't. You have no idea what the destination is, you know, what the time frame is. You know nothing. You absolutely know nothing except through the questions you ask. And are we there? Are we there? You know, you stop at a restaurant. Are we there? Are we there? Every time you stop, are we, is this it? Are we there? I'm tired. When are we going to get there? And that was recovery for me. I likened it to your parents leaving you at a rest area and just taking off and leaving you the keys of the car and you're a nine-year-old. You don't even know how to drive. You don't know where, you know, where you're going or whatever. So you've got to rely on everybody around you who's been there, wherever there is. And then you realize at some point, I did, 20 years in, there is no there, this side of heaven. So um, it was the impatience of recovery, impatience of the restoration, and then when the redemption came through my acceptance of Christ eight years later, it was like the veil had been lifted. This is what I've been looking for. It's just that peace. I just immediately became comfortable in my own skin for the first time in my entire life. I was comfortable. What I chased through alcohol and drugs and porn was everything I got the day after I accepted Christ.
I, I woke up that day. I'll never forget it. I sat on the end of my bed and go, what is, it was such a weird feeling. You've heard the term lightness of being. That's what it was like. It was like something had been lifted and I couldn't put my finger on it. I go, holy cow, I feel good. You know? And you don't realize how bad you felt till you feel good. You know, it's like, and I, I go, oh yeah, last night I gave my life to Jesus. Is that what this is? I, you know, I, again, I had, I'm 40 years old. I had, I was completely naive. So that's the arc of the book is the, uh, you know, I always tell audiences, if you get through the first six chapters uh, without, you know, killing yourself, it's actually an uplifting tale. We didn't hold back anything. I wanted the reader to understand what we were like as a couple, uh, Tammy read, I wanted her to be involved in the last draft because I said, if you're not comfortable with this, because people are going to want to talk to her when they get done reading it, especially women. And uh, I said, if you, if you don't agree with the, you know, the parts, just let me know whatever makes you feel uncomfortable, whatever, you know, cause you know, I unloaded everything. And she read the first two chapters and put it down and said, I, I can't read anymore. We were such horrible people. And I said, but that's the beauty of the story. Jesus didn't leave us there. You know, the the world breaks people all the time, and they leave them in a trash heap. The streets are full of people that the world crushed. But when God breaks a man or a woman, he doesn't leave you there. He invites you into a new relationship and a new life. And uh, so you can look back on, on who you were and go, holy cow. We were horrible people, and um, we're not those people anymore. So that's that's kind of the arc of the book, you know. And uh, it's um, that decision that I made twenty five years ago to tell Jesus, "I'm yours." Whatever that looks like, I had no clue, I had none. I was in the back seat of the car, and throughout that journey for the last twenty five years, I, I've I've had moments where I just go, "Am I there yet? I'm tired." I'd smash a plate, break a cabinet, scream at my family, and I'd sit in my room and just go, I want to be done. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this anymore. When am I done? Jesus' answer to me is just, you go out, you repent, you say your apologies, you say you're sorry, and um, you do, do better going forward. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, there is no there. Not till we're there, right? Absolutely. So in your book, a lot of the um, your testimony is s- sort of like your Solomon and Ecclesiastes sort of experience where basically you tried yeah. to find meaning and purpose and joy in everything else and found it to be empty. So talk a little bit about that and how that ultimately played such a huge role in bringing you to Christ. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, in hindsight, again, you go back to hindsight. You know, I, again, that morning that I sat on the end of my bed, I, I, I was reflecting, and I had this vision, of, of this view in my mind's eye. You know, you can kind of see the, of this valley, this plateau. I'm sitting on something, and and there were these markers in my life, and that little voice says, "I was there. I was there. I was there. I was there. I was always there." So I can look back in hindsight and say, God's hand, from the time I was in my 20s, uh, he, was, he was coaxing me along in, um, in ways. I'm, I'm sorry, I lost track of the question. So Solomon and Ecclesiastes. Oh, Solomon, that's what I was, I was My thought yeah. was about money. Yeah. 
my goal when I started comedy, I was I quit a job. I was making three hundred dollars a week. So I said, boy, if I can make three hundred dollars a week telling jokes, that would be amazing. Took me a while, but I got there. Right? Then I got to five. Then I got to seven fifty. I got to a thousand. I got to twelve hundred. Got to fifteen. And I think it was around eighteen hundred dollars, two thousand dollars for the week. I realized I'll never make enough money. I mean, I just knew it. I was buying more cocaine and more booze. You know, so I. I knew money wasn't the thing when I when I got miserable in life. Mm-hmm. I knew money wouldn't bring me happiness. I knew that, so I was looking for other things. And for me, you know, I talk about this in the book. It, it's almost sounds funny, but it's it was golf. You know, I, I thought if I could change careers and become a professional golfer, what I mean, you'd be laughing if you if you saw me play golf. You know? <laughs> it's like same with me man but that's it but again when you when you're you know when you're broken you're thinking okay i i can you know maybe maybe you know i could i could do this but um yeah I, I alcohol drugs money uh i just knew so when I, I was primed i mean new age i read those books i read self-help books i read uh, buddhism uh uh and and, and it was all of this you know, I always say it's like I had a spiritual thirst that, that I didn't know I had. It was a spiritual thirst. I was looking for something to quench my spirit. So I would read these things, and for brief moments, they, I would go, "This is it. I got it." I would come home and tell my wife, "I got. I, I think I got. You know, great, Jeff. We're, we're we're losing the house. I know. I know we're losing the house, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, I think I I'm, I found something that's gonna mend me. You know, mm-hmm. and and things are gonna get better. And it lasted for a week, a day, or ten, whatever. It didn't matter. So I was primed to hear meaningless, meaningless, all in life is meaningless. Nothing of this earth will ever give you lasting joy. And uh, I think it's in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. It says, uh, the eyes never get enough of seeing, the ears never get enough of hearing. And when I heard that, it, I, you know, again, I leapt because I, I, was, I was in my living room listening on a boombox to a tape, and I had thousands of tapes and CDs, and I had... Um, the video library, I mean, hundreds of VHSs of videos. And I, that's true. I never get enough. I mean, I'm always buying stuff for my ears and my, and my hearing and my eyes. And it's interesting. I, I, I said years ago, I said, if, if, if I was the devil and I wanted to eliminate God, I'd create ambient light, which would just wipe out the stars. I mean, you can't see a star in a city anymore. You look up, it's nothing. So that's gone. And then I'd get rid of the still, quiet voice inside of all of us. I'd put some ear pods in and then just make music, you know, loud music. And then that still, quiet voice. Because I, tell, I used to tell my children, you got, I, staring at the ceiling in the quiet is a prayer. Just laying still for 10 or 15 minutes and staring at the stucco is an activity. Wouldn't make a career out of it. You'd starve. Those moments are when God can speak to you in those quiet moments. If it's loud and noisy, it's hard to discern. It's hard to discern. So uh, I was primed to hear meaningless, meaningless, all in light. And I went, yes, that is true. And I never thought the Bible was anything. But I felt that was a deep truth to me, a deep truth that I had come to on my own conclusion. I had come to that conclusion. I was a nihilist. Mm-hmm. You know, I was hard to be around. I really was. I was just negative and sour. And, but when nothing matters, I always tell people, when you're full of acrimony, wait till you get to apathy. And nobody wants to be around you. Yeah. So again, 
Are We There Yet is an excellent read. As you said, it's difficult at times. I mean, you had a very painful journey with you and your wife, but the way God brought you out of it and the transform transformational change that's happened since you came to faith in Christ, it's amazing. So strongly encourage our listeners to acquire this book, to read it and um, learn from it because it's, um, it's, if nothing else, it's powerful example of how God can transform a life as yes. he did with you, Jeff. Um, so before we sign off, and I didn't prepare you for this one, but I'm pretty sure you can handle it. Um, for you, what is the funniest story in the Bible? In the Bible? In the Bible. Well, you won't believe this, but uh, when, I, when I first started studying the Bible, Ecclesiastes and then Job, Job, that book cracked me up. And um, I'm sorry, but that's just the way my brain wired. And when you think of all this stuff, he had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. So he's got a, you know, part of his crew comes in and goes, you know, the cows just got fire popped. <laughs> you know? And one thing after another, this calamity. And, and then when his wife looked at him, you know, and said, are you still worshiping God? Curse him and die. I mean, that just made me laugh. I thought, you know, yeah, that's a human response to someone who does not have any idea what's going on behind the scenes. And it, it is. I mean, you, you realize, yeah, that's a lot of garbage. You know, it's just one thing after another, man. It's, it's, it's almost, it, it becomes laughable to me. So anyway, that's, that's my favorite. I, yeah. I revisit Job all the time because his friends were completely off base with their with their advice and yeah. assessment of the situation. I mean, it's it's just a really good book for today's. You know, we got a lot of noise uh, out there giving people advice, and it's it's just get quiet and pray, and God will reveal, and um, you, you might actually make it through whatever you're going through. Yeah. That whole um, miserable comforters. Statement that came out of Joe's yeah, exactly. mouth. I mean, talk about the understatement of the of the year with yeah. that. So, Jeff, thank you for um, this conversation. And again, I'd strongly encourage our listeners to pick up a copy of Are We There Yet? Because it is a again a difficult book, especially in the beginning. But the seeing the amazing transformation that God has done Absolutely. in your life and in your family's life, it's it's powerful and it's a powerful reminder of what God can do and that no one is beyond God's ability to reach. Absolutely, one hundred percent. But one hundred percent, and your marriage is um, are, are solvable. Mm -hmm. uh, they're solvable. They really are. Well, Jeff, keep doing what you're doing. Keep making people laugh and Thank bringing you. joy. Because, like I told you before the interview, I was just watching some of your videos before this, and um, you literally brought me to tears—the the good type of tears. And my wife was looking at me like, "Why are you laughing that hard?" But for whatever that particular point of humor was, just what I needed this morning. So. Keep doing what you're That's doing. Great. Allow God to use you. I am until uh, until uh, I go to the other side and actually see the veil lifted. You know? Amen. So it's been the Got Questions podcast with Christian comedian Jeff Allen, author of Are We There Yet? Got Questions, the Bible has answers, and we'll help you find them. Your questions, biblical answers. The Got Questions podcast. Check us out at podcast.gotquestions.org.